On this episode of the Fellowship Podcast by CMF International, our guests are Craig and Allison Fowler, CMF Church Catalyst Missionaries in Ethiopia. You'll hear about what it is like to be a family on mission, about the importance of having a learner's mindset and long-term perspective as a missionary, and the fact that you will always miss 100% of the shots you don't take. Take a risk for Jesus. I'm your host, Jake Moore. Welcome to the Fellowship. Welcome to the Fellowship Podcast by CMF International. I'm your host, Jake Moore, and today I am joined by old friends and former teammates in Ethiopia, Craig and Allison Fowler. Craig and Allison, welcome to the Fellowship Podcast. Thank Thank you. you. (laughs) It's so fun to have you guys on, and I'm excited today uh, because we're going to be talking about Ethiopia, but we're going to be talking about your life story, uh, your ministry. And uh, I know a lots of elements of your story, but I'm excited to share it with the greater CMF family. Um, and so this is really a joy and, and a pleasure for me to get to do uh, with you guys. So I really appreciate you guys coming on the podcast today. Yeah, we're excited about it. Yeah, it's so cool. And it, it's, it's fascinating to me that I can get connected with you guys for this podcast via the internet uh, and that it, it facilitates me talking to you with whether you're in Ethiopia or here in the United States in another part of the United States. Uh, it's really a joy to be able to do this, uh, even if we can't be next to each other right in the room. So I know you guys, uh, but for the greater CMF family, it'd be so, uh, I think, uh, helpful to know a little bit about your family. Uh, it's not just you guys in Ethiopia. How long have you been in Ethiopia? And uh, tell us a little bit about your kids. All right. Um, we've been in Ethiopia over 16 years now, and we have three kids, Zane, who's about to turn 21, and he's studying nursing in Illinois. And then we have Ezra, who's a senior in high school, and Anna, who's a sophomore in high school. And they both go to Rift Valley Academy in Kenya. In Kenya, the neighbor of Ethiopia. And you guys are on are, are currently on the Church Catalyst team in Ethiopia. Yeah. Give us a real quick overview of what the ministry uh, of the Church Catalyst team for CMF looks like in Ethiopia. What are what are some of the things you all are doing? Yeah, we do primarily two different ministries or activities, kind of big categories, um, two and a half, we'll say. Um, <laughs> we do uh, church planting. We're a church planting team. That's mm-hmm. our primary ministry. Um, and along with that, we do leadership training, so training church leaders. Mm-hmm. Um, there's an urban poor component, which one of our teammates focuses on, but even she does a lot of the church leadership training. She she teaches in a Bible college. So um, yeah. So if you want to put it in a real short, we're, we're church planters and we train church leaders. That's what we that's do. That's awesome. That's that's really cool. And so running alongside that, you also have some development projects that are going on as well right right? yeah 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 yeah. Yeah. so in the past when yeah when i served and and when you guys started for a long time we were a health ngo non non non-profit but what's it morphed into now yeah we do uh we do a little bit of health still um but our primary other 
uh, development ministry is water. We dig water wells. Mm -hmm. And so that's, that's, we, we do that in conjunction with our church planting. So mm -hmm. we think of it as part of our church planting efforts, but yeah, we do water, water development. Yeah. Yeah. So it's with that a little bit, you know, basic health and hygiene education, but mm -hmm. it's a good way to build relationships with people in conjunction with the church planting. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like in the communities where you're drilling the wells, you're also putting on these public health classes of sorts. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And you know, in the case of like the prison ministry, we have a prison ministry um, now, which we'll maybe get into later, but yeah. uh, we do a water project that got us the relationship with the, the prison in the first place. So that, that's what I mean. What it, We use the water in lots of different ways, but basically mm -hmm. to connect with communities in order to do, be able to do church planting in those communities. Man, that's so cool. Yeah, no, I, I think it's genuinely exciting and it's it's neat to see the ways that God continues to work through the development side of the work to really expand the church side of the work, the spiritual activities that CMF is a, a part of there in Ethiopia. Yeah. yeah. Um. Well, so 16 years. I mean, that's a phenomenal amount of time. You guys are getting up there with kind of a, a few handful select people within CMF. Uh, who, yeah, I, that's my kind way of saying you're getting really freaking old. No, 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 no. I, like the, There aren't tons of CMF missionaries that serve multiple terms like you all for various reasons. Uh, people yeah, choose to keep it within a one term or two term. Uh, yeah. framework. Uh, yeah. So 16 years, uh, there's a lot of different directions that I want to take our time together. But before we talk through like maybe the 16 years of ministry, I'd love to know a little bit of your backstory before that. Like how in the world did you guys connect up with CMF? How in the world did you pick Ethiopia of all places? Um, so I'd love to hear a little bit about that. Uh, Craig, I know that you are not born on the main, you weren't born on the mainland of the United yeah. States, right? So I'd love to hear a little bit even about that too. So let's jump in it from there. Craig, maybe share with us a little bit about your family background and how you even connected up with CMF from there. Yeah, um, I was born on the mission field. My dad and mom were missionaries in Puerto Rico. So I grew up till I was 10 in Puerto Rico. My dad started the chaplaincy system in the prisons in Puerto Rico. So cool. Um, and then I moved to Oregon after that, uh, played a lot of soccer, always interested in missions and, um, did a lot of different missions type programs mm -hmm. did stuff with YWAM, uh, to Mexico. So I stayed interested in missions mm -hmm. uh, and I had a strong interest in missions all the way through, even in, into college. As a matter of fact, when I met Allison, um, that was one of the first things I talked to her about was, you know, if we're going to go any further with our relationship, <laughs> this wasn't very long into it. I said, I'm interested in missions. Are you, you ready for that? You know? And she said, sure. Yeah. And she was down, huh? She was down <laughs> with it. Um, we, after college, she can talk about her experience, but after college, um, we did a, actually during college, I did a reach internship in mm -hmm. Chile. Um, and then the, that was one year. And then the next year I also did a reach internship in Chile, but it was after we had gotten married, we got married. On a Monday and about a week later, we were at PDO, pre-departure orientation for REACH. So for <laughs> we did a REACH internship in Chile. Yeah, 
That is so it's, ridiculous. Your honeymoon. One, two, it's yeah. super weird that you guys got married on a Monday, but I think that's <laughs> kind of classic Craig and Allison. And I hope people will come away from this podcast realizing that, that you guys are very unique people and so unique. You decide to get married on a Monday. That is Monday, that is awesome. Monday morning, Monday morning. <laughs> you can start, start the week off right. Let's get married. <laughs> so that was Monday morning of that week. And then literally Thursday, you are in Indianapolis at the Benedict Inn to go do the reach. No, so we, we actually did take okay. a real honeymoon we first. We went to but Florida. Yeah, maybe about okay. a week later. Yeah. yeah. So the next okay. week we were, we were at okay. reach. Yeah, I was um, going to say that. I mean, I, I, I have told you guys this, but just to let other people know, I use that story about you guys all the time when I'm trying to recruit young married couples to CMF who are maybe don't have tons of ministry experiences. Like, hey, well, you should do the REACH internship. And, yeah. you know, for those of you that are maybe like are engaged, hey, right after you get married, you can literally <laughs> go serve with us like my teammates and friends, Craig and Allison. Woo! <laughs> yeah, Actually, we'll I'll, I'll say it's, it's maybe an unusual way of doing it, but it, it worked out really well for us. It was pretty influential, I think, in the way mm -hmm. in our future direction. Um, we decided during the REACH internship that we did want to go into missions full time. Mm -hmm. uh, I, th I think that's so it turned it it turned out well. I mean, yeah. it had its challenges, obviously, being married. <laughs> we actually, Chile is it, it's because it was during the winter in Chile. So it was mm -hmm. cold um, and we were in this single bed <clears throat> literally i won't get too too graphic but <laughs> not what we were used to yeah uh, we were staying with a family mm -hmm. this little so it was like they it was they threw us into the deep it was end intense. That. yeah yeah it, yeah, was, it was not it was and that's kind of like your whole trajectory with cmf is some some level of intensity right so that yeah. was just the that was just getting you ready getting you primed and ready it's, it's well, only up yeah, it was what? a good experience, though. Yeah. So for us, for us, it was a good experience. Yeah. Um, and uh, we we ended up getting connected with um, Reach through that. And uh, eventually David Giles, well, not eventually, David Giles got us into Reach in mm -hmm. the first place. Mm -hmm. um, but then we uh, wanted to further our education. And so I went to Emmanuel. It was back when mm -hmm. it was School of Religion. I think it's I Emmanuel. Love that. Central, no? I kind of like yeah. School of that's yeah school of religion is I, I always had people ask me like where the heck what is this thing that you're going to you're getting a master's from where what is this yeah yeah um, and that was, I, i've heard that i've heard uh some some friends of ours uh more in the fact that they started at emmanuel school of religion but when they graduated it had changed its name to emmanuel christian seminary and that their diploma yeah. now says emmanuel christian seminary they, they're like yeah. they wanted the school of religion <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> uh, so the, the religion part so i'm happy i'm yeah, happy with yeah, my you opinion. scored you scored with your diploma so allison i would love maybe you don't want to share this but what was the song that you guys left the the church or the wedding on? Uh, like, you know, I now pronounce you man and wife. What after that, the song well, that you left? We walked out to the Star Wars theme song. 
because yes, <laughs> I walked down the aisle to the Chariots of Fire theme song. We walked out <laughs> the Star Wars theme song. At least it wasn't the Darth Vader. You know. oh, but that's what I, that's what I wanted to make sure it wasn't done, 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 done as you're coming down the aisle. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's so awesome and that it's all on a monday like that is just freaking hilarious i i don't remember i did not remember that detail that you guys got married on a monday so but that that totally makes sense so craig you grew up in puerto rico yeah and where was what was language like for you like i mean were you speaking english on a regular basis or was spanish like right there with you what, what was your childhood like in that in that respect yeah, my parents spoke English at home, obviously. Mm -hmm. So I obviously English is my first language, but Spanish was the language I spoke at school. So I actually went to kindergarten three times. I went three different <laughs> years um, because the first two years were just to learn language, make friends, et cetera, that my parents sent mm -hmm. me. And I, they sent me early. Then I changed mm -hmm. schools. And the next school was also in Spanish. Um, mm -hmm. So the first few years of my school was in Spanish. So I, I still speak Spanish, which is mm -hmm. kind of useless kinda... in Ethiopia. But... <laughs> it's, it's useless in Ethiopia, but you have kind of that TCK heart where your your yeah. your language even is uh, divided. And what, what is your heart language? I mean, to put so much of your childhood really yeah. framed out within a Spanish-speaking context is really interesting uh, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So even that that carried over. If I remember, uh, like junior high, high school, like the soccer teams you played on, right? Yes, I left uh, Puerto Rico when I was ten, so mm -hmm. I probably would have forgotten most of my Spanish. Honestly, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I don't know. But I ended up playing soccer on on a lot of teams in Oregon and a lot of Hispanic teams, and I played mm -hmm. on several teams where I was the only native English speaker. So that really helped my Spanish to stay. Um, mm -hmm. So actually, my Spanish is more Mexican mm -hmm. now than it is Puerto Rican. Um, it's morphed. <laughs> yeah, it sounds a little more Mexican, and the vocabulary is more Mexican um, because that's that's the guys I played with were Mexican. But the cuss, your your cuss words are more Mexican. They are. <laughs> yeah. Ah, that's great. Okay, so Allison. We're hearing this about Craig and his little bit of an origin story. Where were you at in things? Because you weren't just born and raised in one location either. No. Um, when I was born, actually, my dad was in the Air Force and okay. um, then later decided he wanted to go into full-time ministry. After He actually became a Christian after I was born and decided to go into full-time ministry. And so he went to seminary and became a pastor. And then we moved around to several different places, mostly in the Midwest, but mm -hmm. Illinois, North Dakota, Missouri, um, we moved around, but I grew up with my parents being in full-time ministry. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. Now I don't consider North Dakota Midwest. I mean, that's just stinking North. Like that's, <laughs> that's, what was that like living in North Dakota? I mean, we don't have any North Dakota listeners, but if we do, I apologize if I sound <laughs> condescending, but I don't think of that being a very pleasant place to be living. Well, honestly, as a kid, it was great because yeah. you don't mind the cold. It's got tons of snow, ice skating. I didn't think anything of it because I didn't really know any better. Yeah. Now I think I would not do well there. <laughs> as a kid, it seems, I don't know, I liked it. Yeah, even I guess when you moved later, did you almost miss it because you didn't have all the winter activities? 
Yeah, like when we moved to Illinois, I remember getting really bad headaches from the humidity. And now I can't, I can't stand not having humidity. Like I love <laughs> humidity. So, you know, you just kind of whatever you get used to at different yeah. points. But I did feel like there were fewer, yeah, fewer outdoor activities to do in Illinois. Strangely. Yeah. Yeah. That's really funny. Yeah. It's so random. But it was the cold that uh, I guess drew you outside in North Dakota. It wasn't like it was beautiful weather and that's why you wanted to go play. <laughs> that's funny. So then you guys both ended up going to college at the same college in Illinois. What was that college? We both went to Greenville College, which is mm -hmm. Greenville University now. But yeah, and, I'm still Illinois. And what was the idea behind that? Was it because uh, you're coming from different parts of the United States, different yeah. backgrounds? What what drew you to that school particularly? Um, well, for me, we at that time, my family lived in Missouri, just outside of St. Louis. And my sister had gone to Greenville. Mm -hmm. And when I would go and visit her there, I just thought this is awesome because I would be a high schooler going to visit my you know, sister in college and see all the fun she was having. So I probably ended up there more because um, I had had some experience there while I was mm -hmm. in high school. And so, Craig, what got you to Greenville then? Uh, soccer and okay. a connection to um, one of the professors or two of the professors actually at Greenville College. Um, had been in Puerto Rico. Uh, really? So my family would stay connected with them. And actually, my best friend in Puerto Rico, uh, Alex Schmidt, was uh, their son. And so he he went to, he was my same age. So okay. we ended up, I ended up getting connected that way. And it was really soccer. The coach recruited me. So Yeah, oh, that's cool. That's really interesting. Yeah, I mean, coming from Oregon, I just don't think that there's generally that many natural connections for people to make it to Greenville no. University in Illinois yeah. <laughs> to, yeah. to go to school. So, okay, you're on this mission track. You're not thinking anything but soccer and missions. Allison's doing her own thing. How in the world did you guys meet? Like, how did where did the connection come? I mean, I know it's a small school, but where did the connection initially begin? Um, We're breaking the rules. That's <laughs> <how>. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I guess we we met through mm -hmm. some friends. Mm -hmm. um, Are you guys the same? Were you the same year at Greenville? No, no. I'm a year ahead of him. Okay. Um, so I've been there a couple years, actually kind of in and out a little bit. And then... Mm -hmm. um, yeah, he played soccer, and the, the Greenville had just several years before that started a women's soccer team, and I had never played. I've always been more into running and track, but mm -hmm. I thought, oh, what the heck? Some of my friends are playing. I'll just play just for fun and see. And I wasn't ever very good. I could run up and down the field, but I couldn't ever control the ball. But anyway, the men's and women's teams. Look at her go. Be, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but the men's and women's teams would kind of be out in practice at the same time, and I noticed Craig at some point across mm -hmm. the field. Mm -hmm. <laughs> now, then, what, what did you notice about Craig? What was it? Was it his, his hair? What was it that you're like, Hey, what is this? <laughs> it might have been the, the blonde flowing mullet maybe. Initially. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. had a lot. Craig, Craig had a lot of hair at that time, right? Long, <laughs> long flowing blonde mullet. Yeah. That's pretty, pretty hard to miss. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's uh, yeah. funny. Okay, so you guys start kind of dating. You're kind of interested in each other. You're you're out playing soccer, causing trouble at Greenville University. At what point did 
faith was faith always a very like key aspect of your lives at that point or was it kind of a periphery thing and at what point did missions and then also cmf come on your radar too i mean craig i know you're at tck allison you grew up in the church but was faith a genuine part of your life at that point and was missions a genuine part of your life at that point um for me yeah faith was i throughout my summers in college i worked at a christian camp and mm -hmm. i think it was at that point when i decided that ministry you know not necessarily missions at that point but ministry in general as full-time ministry was something i was interested in moving towards and soon after i had been feeling that way is when craig and i met and he was like oh you know i want to be a missionary so if you're not interested then <laughs> step <laughs> off yeah and i said well i am interested in full-time ministry um missions is something i haven't thought a whole lot about but i'm interested and in, definitely interested in exploring that mm -hmm. so but i would say that yeah throughout college faith was a big part of my life that's cool that's cool and same for you craig i mean you said that when you guys started dating yeah missions was on track but even going to greenville you were you're taking your walk with jesus pretty serious yes yeah, yeah yeah and obviously i was interested even in missions at that point um mm -hmm. enough to hit her up with an awkward question i mean <laughs> that's not typical on your first date to, no. to say to somebody yeah so so, yeah, so greenville university uh i have never had the pleasure of visiting someday i need to see your old stomping grounds but it mm -hmm. also isn't typically uh on the radar for cmf mobilization and recruitment so where did the connection or the jump for you guys you, you shared about the reach experience and how it was it was formative for you craig uh, as a single and then for you all as a couple but where in the world did the connection to cmf come through how, how did that work um it came through uh, my home church in oregon court street christian okay. and so um court street uh and i had talked to court street about uh, be doing a, an internship of some kind or getting involved in missions. And my, I have a long history with Court Street. I my parents were supported by Court Street. My grandparents were on the you know missions team. So there's a long history there with Court Street. And they got us connected with CMF. Mm -hmm. So David, they contacted David Giles. And he's the one who kind of organized, the obviously, the REACH internship. He was in, I think he was the recruiter back then. Yeah, yeah. So, um, that's that's the connection is through my home church court street got mm -hmm. us connected with cmf mm -hmm. i did the reach internship and at that point we then we were in the the cmf system yes so, yeah you're you're in the sites as people yeah. that we want to recruit to long-term service so from there then allison had you had any international experience or was that why as a married couple you guys were like oh we need to basically as our honeymoon go go and do reach <laughs> Uh, the only thing I had done was a missions trip to Mexico. Mm -hmm. um, so, and that I think even was right after we got married. So I hadn't traveled internationally um, before we got married at all. Mm -hmm. And then I did uh, my own missions trip after we got married. And then, yeah, and then we went to Chile. So that was only my second time overseas at all. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's, that's cool. So, one thing that i know about you guys is yeah the language thing spanish was there for craig you guys are in chile though and allison 
how did you feel about Spanish or when you were thinking about going long-term and working in a Spanish speaking context, were you like, yeah, that sounds like something I want to do after this experience or how did you feel? Well, I, so I took Spanish in high school, so I knew some basic stuff I could get around and obviously it improved that summer while we were there, but I definitely came away. I don't know if this is sort of the competitive side of me or a little bit of my own pride, but I definitely came away thinking, I'm I'm for going into missions, but we have to go somewhere where we start off on more equal footing. Mm-hmm. Um, that was really important to me. So it wasn't like I was stepping into something that he already felt. Because not only did he know Spanish, but he'd been to Chile before yeah. as well. Mm-hmm. So for me, I didn't want to feel like I'm stepping into something he's already very familiar with and I'm not. Yeah. So I basically was like, hey, I'm at that point I was finishing up nursing uh, or no, I was about to start nursing. Um, I went back and got my nursing degree after we got married and Mm -hmm. said, I want to do nursing. And I think I'd like to go somewhere totally different. How about Africa? You know? Uh, Okay. So that early on, you guys already put the continent of Africa out as an option as a married couple that where you wanted to serve. So, okay. Oh, that's, that's really interesting. Cause that was going to be one of my questions for you was like, at what point did the shift happen from a Spanish speaking context to someplace like Africa? Was, was CMF instrumental in that at all? Or was it just like, or even like your experience of serving alongside the other cohort, uh, other interns within the cohort for reach that you're like, Oh, seeing people go to Kenya. You're like, Oh, maybe we should consider doing that uh, at, at some point in the future for us as a married couple. Well, I think some of it, I mean, yes, we did meet other people who, you know, at PDO who were Mm -hmm. going to, you know, different Mm -hmm. places in Africa. And that was interesting. But I think um, for some of it for us was the way teams worked, our perception of the way teams worked. When we, after experience in Chile, we talked specifically to David and said, you know, how do teams work in Africa as opposed to this particular setting that we've been used to? Mm -hmm. And I think that was um, with teams working, living and working in different, a variety of different places like they do in Ethiopia, that was more appealing to us to be somewhere kind of more on our own where we worked within a bigger team, but it wasn't, you know, the exact mm-hmm. same day-to-day ministry together. That was definitely more appealing to us. Plus, I wanted to go somewhere where I had um, a skill that I could bring to the table like nursing. Okay. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Yeah. So in Chile, it may have followed more of what we see with our global scope teams where the missionaries are seeing each other every day or multiple times throughout the week, um, have a lot of overlap. And the, the interesting thing to you that it was serving on a team like in Ethiopia or in Kenya, uh, at least in the, in the nineties where you hardly ever see each other. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's always an interesting dynamic when we talk about team and CMF being a very team-oriented organization. But in context like Ethiopia, the team is members of the team are sometimes two to three hours away from each other or 12 hours away from each other. <laughs> so yeah. was that so some of that drive or interest for you all was just thinking like, you want to be a part of something bigger than yourselves, but then you also want to be really doing your own thing a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think so. It was a good combination. I mean, there's different, you know, different teams work differently. Mm-hmm. And I think that style of working on a team just appealed to us mm-hmm. more. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah. Yeah. That was which, definitely. Important. Yeah. And at, at the time CMF in Chile was in Santiago in an urban setting. 
Yeah. Did yeah. when you talked about the reach internship being really informative for you, was it even recognizing, okay, going forward, Africa is of interest to us, team structure, language, mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, and then would it also be style of ministry that you're like, uh, this is okay, we can do this, but kind of want to do a different style of ministry as well? Um, yeah, I don't know if that, you know, we liked what the folks are doing and mm -hmm. really for sure we we connected with the ministry no no problems there we 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 think they're doing great stuff um i think for us it i think really you know in all fairness you know, allison talks about i about the language and other kinds of things she did really well with the culture and language mm -hmm. and so that i i think it was just that it was a place that both of us were could be interested in working and i Honestly, I wasn't really stuck on a Spanish-speaking country. Mm -hmm. So for me, I was just happy she was interested in missions. So wanting, wanting to go and serve someplace. Yeah, and and she was interested in the obviously the nursing side, and mm -hmm. it was just a, a better fit. I, I don't mm -hmm. necessarily think there was any problems in terms of the Chile side for us. Yeah, or Latin America for that matter it just it just fit our particular situation a little bit better yeah it's something so. we really wrestled with with you know we already have this skill to bring to the table you know as far as spanish for craig and me mm -hmm. a little bit so why wouldn't we you know we i felt pulled away from that direction but it just didn't make a lot of sense on a practical level why would we not use some of the talents we already have and go to a spanish-speaking country but in the end there were enough other factors that pulled us away from it that yeah, yeah. And we, we knew we were also interested in long-term yeah. mission. And so language is an important factor, but um, if you're, if you're committed for a while, um, mm -hmm. language becomes that startup initial language ability becomes less of uh, a, a big factor. We mm -hmm. can only the language. So that yeah. Was, yeah. Yeah. Well, before we jump into more on the, your long-term journey and, and kind of where you're how you got to where you're at now, I'd love to hear just your thoughts for someone who might be listening to this episode that's exploring reach or short-term type opportunities, whether that be in Ethiopia, maybe coming and serving alongside you all or going to Kenya or in some other context, maybe two aspects of, of the reach internship, you know, why should they do reach? Uh, and then, uh, what can they expect to get from the reach experience? Yeah. Well, I'll say for me, you know, for, for, for both of us, in a lot of ways, it was sort of the, it was the starting point. It was what we jumped mm -hmm. off of into the next phase of our life. Mm -hmm. Now, I will say there are a lot of things about my reach experience that were really challenging. And I don't know if I'd want to do again, but I, but I say that not because it's not because it was a bad experience, because it was a learning experience. And I mm -hmm. think for me, the challenge of it is what... Um, helped build into me that I really can go into missions and I can go into it in a challenging setting and I can get through it, even if this particular setting is not the one. Mm -hmm. So I think people who are interested in reach or interested, people who are interested in missions should do reach, but not because it might necessarily be a really awesome experience, the most fun experience they've ever had. Mm -hmm. I think the goal is to experience it and then be able to figure out, okay, what are the challenges? Do I have the ability to work through those challenges? And what have I learned from this moving forward as far as the direction for missions? Yeah, no, that's profound. I, I appreciate that. Craig, were you going to say something too? Uh, 
Yeah, just also another thing that REACH does is get you into the culture of missions, mm -hmm. which sounds kind of a weird thing to say, but um, missionaries are involved in lots of different cultures and CMF culture is one of them. And it's not good or bad. Honestly, it's just it's just a, a factor that um, it, get, it gets your foot in the door. It's like it's like any other company, I guess, um, having experience working and operating within the system. Mm -hmm is really good. And I think it's also a time where you can keep lots of op options open and in mind, but you can explore one specific one with the idea that you're also looking at a lot of different possibilities um, into the future. So I think, I think that's kind of one of the hidden positives of REACH internships is understanding this, the culture of CMF. Also understanding, like getting a little bit of taste of fundraising you know, mm -hmm. fundraising is some, some people like it, some people don't, um, but it's it's kind of a factor in missions, and so you 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 get in you get a lot of experience with a lot of variety of things, which are skills that'll help you in missions in yeah. the future. Yeah, no, no, I agree with all those points. And it, one thing that I talk a lot about with people that we're trying to recruit to towards the reach internship or the exchange internship is this idea of the learner's mindset and that mm -hmm. it's a yeah. learning experience. So learning how to do support raising, fundraising, yeah. learning how to be in another culture or learning about CMF culture uh, are key things that we want our interns to be taking away from their summer or semester experience. I love that. Okay, so Emanuel Christian Seminary, you, you decide after you do your, your second internship, you're like, okay, I'm going to pursue seminary. You're living in yeah. Johnson City, Tennessee. And how did Ethiopia then become like on your radar? You, you mentioned Africa, interest in Africa. I'm guessing the recruitment team at the time, particularly David Giles, is like, all right, sweet. Craig and Allison Fowler, we want them to go serve. They are interested in Africa. But we had various works going on in Africa. We still do, and we, and we did at the time. How did you guys hone in on Ethiopia specifically? Well, I'll just say real quick, before we moved to Johnson City, we actually both worked in, uh, and managed a camp for the first three years we were married. And I think that was a good experience because it kind of, we were in full-time ministry together, but it was mm -hmm. stateside. So I yeah. think it was a, it helped, we learned to work together as yeah. well as it kind of affirmed for both of us that ministry was still on the table. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and now I'll, I'll just add one yeah. thing about that. Um, we are probably a little unusual in that we kind of like the fundraising side of things. Yeah. It, it's not what I want to do all the time, but mm -hmm. it definitely is not something I, that we dislike. And we learned that skill at the camp because we did a lot of promotion, camp promotion. So that was a really mm -hmm. good uh, intro to talking to churches, yeah. you know, yeah. all that kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. You also played a big part in recruitment for CMF, right? Later on down the road, there were some people that were connected with you at the camp that are now serving as CMF yeah. missionaries. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. So our some of our close friends at that time, Greg and Vicki Syverson, they were like the first, our first, I don't know, friends as married couples yeah. or something. Yeah. Together. Yeah. 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 And so they also were interested in missions. That was a fun connection. And yeah. we introduced them to David as well. 
Yeah. And so and they, they continue the before we did. <laughs> yeah. yeah. They got to the field before you and they continue to serve with CMF. So they're yes. another long-term uh, CMF family serving yeah. in Mexico. So CMF has so much to thank you for Fowlers. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> no, no, that's even a fun thing that in the midst of your ministry with the camp, yeah, you're getting these tools to understand what support raising can look like and should look like. But you're, then you're also looking for people to recruit towards service, maybe with you or just with CMF in general. And I think that that's a, even a, a great example of what we're hoping for our CMF recruits and missionaries that they support raising is not just getting the money. Right. Uh, that's it. That's big. Right. But it's also building out your team and the people that you would want to work with. Yeah. 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 So then after we moved to Johnson City, our goal had been to eventually end up for Craig to go to seminary, but the camp experience was a good step in our whole process. Mm -hmm. And then we moved to Johnson City. And as you know, that area around Milligan and Emmanuel, there are a lot of there's a lot of missionaries that come in and out of there are people who are interested in missions. Mm -hmm. And um, we were connected with Ray and Effie Giles. We actually Soon after we moved there, Craig um, was hired on as the youth minister at Lono Christian Church, which mm -hmm. is there in Johnson City. Yes, in Johnson mm -hmm. City. And that's where Ray and Epi Giles attended church. And he was an elder. He was an yeah. elder. Yeah. And we got involved in a small group uh, within the, you know, the general community there from other churches who were interested in missions and of course, that's how we met you guys. Yeah, my wife and I, Aaron and I, met us through through Ray and Effie in connections with CMF. Aaron had served as a REACH intern in Ethiopia uh, a few summers before we were married, and then I moved there uh, to the area too. So uh, it was they kept her similar to you guys in their sights as somebody that they wanted to recruit for longer term service. Uh, so that was a nice connection there. Yeah, I also say Adrian and Jennifer Fell had been mm -hmm. at that church. He was the youth minister, two youth ministers before me at Lone Oak. At Lone Oak. Mm -hmm. um, and so that that played a role for us. Adrian was the team leader mm -hmm. uh, in CMF, in uh, Ethiopia. Ethiopia, when we went to Ethiopia. So yeah, um, that was another key relationship. And we yeah. had strangely had met them initially um, when we went to Chile for our REACH internship, they were going to Ethiopia as a That's right. Two of them, and we're familiar with them already. Yeah. Yeah, that's really funny. Yeah, so there were multiple married couples at that in that particular cohort yeah. of interns. Yeah, were. Yeah, yeah, that's really funny. So how did, how did you then lock in, though, on Ethiopia? You did a – was it – the fact that Ray and Effie Giles back there in, in 2002, 2003 started talking about putting together a vision trip. And so you're like, you're like, okay, we've talked about Africa. We've talked about two different opportunities. Let's go check this out. Or were you even talking with CMF about other locations within Africa? I don't honestly, I don't remember talking about uh, too many other locations in Africa. I think mm -hmm. that that initial connection with Ray and Effie and then, yeah, as you mentioned, them putting together this vision trip, the timing fit well for us because Craig was the, we could see sort of, uh, he was a couple years into seminary and we could kind of see the end in sight within a couple mm -hmm. of years. And so in our minds, it was time to really start thinking and being serious about it. And so that right. timing coincided really well with with meeting up with Ray and Effie and then putting together a vision trip from, you know, multiple ones of us to go visit Ethiopia and see what the need yeah. there, and how we could fit in. 
I had the honor of being on that trip with you guys, Aaron and I, as a young married couple, getting to to be on that trip, and it was uh, yeah transformative for us to be on that um, and and kind of honing our calling and where we were going to go and serve as well, because uh, we were on a trajectory trajectory similar to you all of to the mission field, but didn't quite know where. We're kind of just generally open to yeah. ways in which we could serve, uh, and so I, that it's so interesting to me to think of that trip being so formative for you all and for us, as well as for some of our other folks serving in other locations. Um, And of course, spending time with Ray and Effie Giles, former CMF missionaries to Ethiopia. uh, They were also extremely influential on our, on our walk, but also even just on our calling to Ethiopia itself. Yeah. I think was Steve on that trip. Steve Lamero. Yeah. Yes. Yes, he was. He was. You go on the vision trip, but you also end up in Ethiopia. But it's not just you two. It's not like people getting married on Monday, walking down the aisle (laughs) to Star Wars, living La Vida Loca in Chile or as camp counselors. There were other people in your life at that time as you're exploring moving to Ethiopia. Uh, You had some kids. You had Zane, and then later you had Ezra. How did that fit into the mix? Like, were you guys nervous about that? Did you have some family pressure at all? Like, hey, don't take the grandbabies away? Or where did family fit, and how did that dynamic with kiddos fit uh, as well into this movement to the field? Yeah. Um, well, when we first started looking at Ethiopia, we just had Zane actually on the vision trip mm-hmm. um, with you guys. Yeah. Then that I was actually pregnant with Ezra. So um, I don't know. That was just interesting. Yeah, it was, it's fun. <laughs> and I was sick during that trip, which didn't yes. help. But I, well, I remember one time we were outside of a, some random hotel and I happened to be sick to my stomach. <laughs> And I went to the bathroom, which are disgusting in Ethiopia yeah. anyway, uh, and then like met you in the outdoor hallway area and you had been sick to your stomach as well. Yes. And I was like, oh, hey, you know, kindred spirits, you know, what, what did you eat? Oh, man, that was rough. Something that we ate. And then come to find out, no, it was just pregnancy for you. Yeah. 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 <laughs> but I'm glad you were willing to relate to me, you know, about that. That was, was I awesome. had something I had something else growing in my stomach. Yeah. Another yeah. creature at that point, not not a human. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, but anyway, I you know, I don't I don't know that our having kids or not really played a, it wasn't a deterrent for us no. by any means. It was just okay, this is, you know, we we knew that we wanted to have a family and that was going to be you know, a part of the picture. I think um, I'll just speak about my parents. My parents were extremely supportive. Like I said, they, you know, they're in full-time ministry and I had seen them uh, make sacrifices in the past with different kinds of ministry and, and also being willing to move away from their families despite different kinds of pressures. So um they did a very good job of being very supportive of us and yeah. mm-hmm. both verbally and in their yeah. actions, you know, and I recognize probably more so now that my kids are older, um, how challenging it probably was for them, mm-hmm. but they did not, they were very supportive and did not make it difficult for me. Uh, that's awesome. And I had the same experience, a positive experience. My parents were very positive about, um, 
us going on the mission field. So we didn't, we didn't face um, that challenge. And I know a lot of other missionaries face that challenge, you know, mm-hmm. pressure from family and, and in some ways, understandably so, especially as I have my own kids. I mean, yeah. I think about, you know, now we're sending kids to the U.S. for, you know, college next year, Ezra as well. I, I get it. I mean, it's it's challenging, um, yeah. but we didn't have that pressure from them. Mm-hmm. No, that's huge. That's huge. This is one less thing to think over, to fret over as you're preparing to go. Yeah. So do you re- recall like time frame wise when you affiliated with CMF? You went on the vision trip January of 2003 with us and Ray and Effie Giles and Steve and some other folks. When did you affiliate? And then how soon after that did you end up on the field? Um, so, cause it's interesting to think for, for me, uh, to think about time frame for folks that are listening to the podcast as they're maybe in the throes of support raising. Uh, so where, what, how long did it take you all to actually raise your support and get to the field after? Well, we officially affiliated maybe like nine months after the vision trip, because mm-hmm. we affiliated, like we went on a vision trip in January and affiliated in August, went through what was it at that time? The assessment um, center. The assessment yeah. center. Yeah, I went through that week assessment center or whatever it was. Mm-hmm. Anyway, and so that was, um, and then we didn't end up on the mission field until almost two years later. Okay. So, you know, we did some part-time support raising, but Craig was still finishing up seminary mm-hmm. at that time. So mm-hmm. our first year of support raising was really just part-time. Mm-hmm. he was finishing his last year mm-hmm. and then our second year was more intense full-time yeah 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 so it was a more of a almost 24 months of mm-hmm. kind of getting that support squared away as well as wrapping up details with your life with the degree yeah. program and everything yeah. else and having ezra so adding a second kid mm-hmm. uh, into the mix so when you finally launched to ethiopia it was summer of 2005 is that correct yeah. Okay, summer of 2005. How old was Zane and how old was Ezra at that point? Zane was four and a half and Ezra was almost two. He turned two like a month or two after we got there. Four and a half year old and a two year old going over to Ethiopia together. And it's always fun traveling with little people on international flights and dealing with time zone changes and everything else. Um, so for folks that are listening that maybe aren't familiar with the CMF context, for long-term missionaries, we commit to a one year of language and cultural acquisition uh, so that we can be better ministers of the gospel in this, whatever context you may be in, a Spanish-speaking context, or for you guys in Ethiopia, the national language is Amharic. What did that first year look like for you guys? And how did you feel about language school and, and dedicating that first year to, to study of language and culture? Well, I think we, I mean, we thought it was a good idea. You know, it was our, yeah. our team mandated it. So there was no, I don't remember it being a debate yeah, <laughs> at all. Yeah, totally. We were positive about it. Um, we were eager to get out into remote areas and, start our ministry probably right, now, in- I should say like you yeah you maybe let's let's highlight what were you going to do in Ethiopia so you came back from the vision trip you wanted to go serve with CMF in Ethiopia but where and what style of ministry because I think that would help give some context to even what you're saying about about language and getting out 
Yeah, yeah, we were recruited. Actually, what Ray and Effie's vision was to recruitment, you know, younger, new families to go out into more unreached areas. He had a vision. Um, he actually had some, some specific general areas for not specifically across. No. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, anyway, some areas where he wanted to recruit people for to do church planting and unreached areas. And so when we came back from our vision trip, that was specifically what we were planning to do. Mm -hmm. Okay. So that's what you meant when, yeah, going out. I, I knew what you meant, but maybe somebody doesn't quite know. So you're not in the capital city, Addis Ababa. You're looking at places 12, 15 hours by yeah. driving uh, out uh, into some more remote regions where there are no churches established. Yes. Okay. So where, where were the kiddos during that time? Like, how did you balance doing language study and, and having the boys and stuff like that? How did that work? Well, yeah. Oh, let, let, me, let me just, one thing I think that's important to recognize too, in terms of the question, mm -hmm. I'll answer your question eventually, but uh, <laughs> is, is that I think some of it depends on how you look at your, what your kids are doing um, mm -hmm. in terms of how, difficult or not difficult it becomes we always viewed our kids as missionaries mm -hmm. as well as us so we weren't taking our kids along with us on the mission field as a family we were going to the mission field mm -hmm. um, and what's cool is i think it, it makes it makes the transition actually a lot easier to recognize that your kids are part of the ministry mm -hmm. one and in hindsight we have there's a lot of stories that we have about our kids um being key ingredients or key parts of the Fowler family's ministry in Ethiopia. So I think for us, that that's one way of looking at it, which helped us to think of it differently, maybe mm -hmm. than uh, what we, it, it could have been instead of we're not dragging our kids to the mission field yeah. or we're not forcing our kids to the mission field. They are on the mission field with us. Yeah. Yeah, but we'll see first year was was challenging. I mean, yeah. I actually I I enjoyed language school, but um, there was uh, for me there was always the tension of you know are my kids doing okay this mm -hmm. first year? And Zane ended up going to a little preschool, mm -hmm. um, local preschool. Actually, it was a new little preschool that opened up that was in English, so that helped mm -hmm. for him. Um, but he met a lot of Ethiopian kids there, and then Ezra was too young to go. So he was at home with, you know, a, an Ethiopian lady that we had hired to help watch him in the mornings while we were in school. But mm -hmm. I, as a mom, felt that tension between mm -hmm. I really like language school and I feel like I'm doing well with it. But, you know, are my are my kids OK and how are they handling this transition? Yeah. 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 It's always a challenge in balancing it out. And uh, a lot of the women that are moms within CMF feel this tension that uh sometimes you kind of wonder where in, where in the world does it come from uh like why why do you feel that tension uh but it's a sad fact that you guys have to wrestle with that uh, on a regular basis uh, in those different contexts um so then as you're working through language school uh you start thinking okay this there's kind of this vision within the team of the locations that we want to be getting out to and a certain people group the gumus people that you're trying to target you know, this could be a, a four hour podcast alone, just talking through dynamics of where the team was at and how you honed in on where you honed in. But maybe it, what would be the the short nutshell version of how you ended up in 
iGali of all places. Yeah, most of the CMF work up to that point with the Gumus had been south of the Blue Nile. And there were there was one church that Ray and uh, another guy named Atuitana, who we still know, a uh, mm-hmm. person, a Gumus guy, um, he, they, they basically planted a church in a place called Albasa, which is just north of the Blue Nile. Mm-hmm. They did so with a helicopter, actually. So it's kind of yeah. a cool, it was an interesting experiment. So there's one church north of the Blue Nile, but a lot of Gumu's people live in that area north of the Blue Nile called Metekel. And so we knew we were interested in having some kind of church planting slash medical ministry, uh, basically health post. Uh, mm-hmm. to open up in Metekel. And so we did a lot of recruiting or a lot of scouting and check stuff out. And we, we picked a spot called Igali. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's how we ended up because it was a, it was specifically north of the Blue Nile and there was no other CMF work in that area. Yeah. And we knew there were lots of Gumu's people. We, we scouted several areas, but landed on that area because number one, it had to be an area that was the government approved because of running, you know, a little health clinic and an area mm-hmm. where they really didn't have access to medical care uh, was key. But for mm-hmm. us, the other big component was an area where they didn't really have, you know, uh, the previous access to the gospel, really. So yeah. those were the two key components, but it had to fall under sort of what the government would allow us to do as well. Yeah, yeah, it had had those parameters uh, that kind of fed into picking that particular location. And so we're talking dirt roads, gravel roads. I mean, there's a little bit of asphalt uh, on the way out to that location. But for a while you drive and it's hours and hours on gravel roads, rough gravel roads. And then eventually you get to a point on where you're like supposed to go to Igali, but there's not really a road, right? Like, or there wasn't at least in 2006, yeah. right? Yeah, that's correct. Yeah. <laughs> about 25. Well, right, right now it turns out to be about 25 kilometers. Mm-hmm. Our house is 25 kilometers from the main gravel road. Mm-hmm. So those 25 kilometers, uh, most of those did not exist as a road when we mm-hmm. first moved in, in there. Um, the, the Gumus people in that area, uh, built, basically built the road by hand. So mm-hmm. what we could get to there. So some of our early scouting, uh, we had talked to the government, the government had talked to the local population and they said, yeah, we're interested in having a health post in our area. Um, there are these foreigners that are interested in doing something. So they, they basically took machetes and cut through the woods and, yeah. cross rivers and you know the whole the whole deal so it was pretty re- yeah. it's a remote area there was yeah two river two river crossings three there's right. really two sometimes there's three sometimes there's two depending on the dry or rainy season right yeah, yeah sure. two bigger two good sized rivers yeah that are always flowing uh, yeah i think that that's some some folks that don't know much about ethiopia ethiopia has really two significant seasons a dry season where it's just dusty and then yeah. the the rainy season, which is the other half of the year, and it's just muddy all, yeah. all the time. And so that's why you're saying sometimes there's three rivers. Yeah. Just because yeah. half of the year there's a there's another river thrown yeah. in there because of rain and mud. Yeah. Um, man, so there's so many things I'd love to talk about with even getting out physically to your site. But let's just talk just the basic logistics of your vehicle. 
Um, because I think that that alone is interesting. Uh, like what were some of the things that you had on your truck that helped you get past those 25 kilometers out to your house? Like just to get to your house and to your ministry site, what yeah. did you have on your vehicle that allowed you to do that? Yeah. Some, sometimes like that 25 kilometers would, t- we could literally walk it faster than we could drive it. Some of the time, like it would take two hours, three hours to get there that wasn't when it's really bad yeah Um, we had a winch on the front of our vehicle Mm -hmm. um and we'd use it a lot i mean it wasn't like we didn't you know it was just it wasn't it wasn't a show winch (laughs) like most like most trucks and jeeps here in the united states for show like oh yeah i spent all this money on this thing and maybe yeah yeah we used it a lot uh we had chains for our tires yeah. that we used in the mud. Like we snow had, chains. Yeah, yeah, we had always carried at least one shovel with us. We had a high lift jack. Yeah. yeah. And di- different times of, we'd use different kind of equipment depending on, we actually, depending on the the road. Um, yeah. So the high lift jack is actually a really useful tool yeah. in, in certain cases. So for a while they were using the high lift jack all the time. Yeah. Um, we also, we'd also have a hand winch which yeah. um, we would like hook the hook the top of the like the roof rack mm-hmm. and we and hook it to a tree and then we'd pull the car over and stick rocks or whatever on the one side and then we'd pull the other side over <laughs> we had a lot of different equipment right uh, to get up and down that road especially the yeah. right to get physically out there you had to have different yeah. tools at your disposal on your car to get you there and yeah. that's why yeah it would take you three hours or a night <laughs> to get yeah. to your house yeah, night, yeah. It's been, we, we stayed on the road of more than one night literally yeah, just yeah. in our car or because whatever. you were stuck in the mud and needed it to dry out or something yeah. like that yeah uh yeah that is that's quite different than a number of our other teams in the context yeah. in which they surf uh for sure and so then what would that look like then in the rainy season though as you're driving this 25 kilometers out to this location where you're doing ministry i mean are you staying there or is this like every other day you're driving in and out to and doing the two or three hours like rainy season yeah, no, we had we had a how we eventually built. I took you know it was a process, but we mm-hmm. eventually built a house out there. So we'd drive out, we'd stay for you know two to three months. I mean, preferably eight to ten weeks, sometimes twelve weeks if we could pull it off with our supplies. But you know, we're bringing all of our supplies out with us, so we have to stock up, and our car can only carry so much. And then, mm-hmm. you know, every two to three months, we would end up heading back into the capital city to resupply and take care of other, you know, business. Mm-hmm. And, and one aspect was we had a motorcycle, off-road motorcycle. So mm-hmm. a lot of times we'd park the car and the car would just sit there for two months. Mm-hmm. So we like, we avoided too much driving in and out during the rainy season. But the motorcycle is a good way to mm-hmm. get up and down that road and get to our ministry yeah. sites. Yeah, physically manipulate picking up the bike and walking it through the river or something like that to get on the other side. That was easier to manage than trying to figure out how to get the car or the truck back and forth. Yeah. Yeah, That makes sense. But then dry season, once things did dry out, you could drive in and out on your road, even in those earlier stages, like in an hour, usually you would get stuck usually. Yeah. Yeah. Usually about an hour. 
Yeah. Yeah. About an hour. Yeah. At 25 <laughs> kilometers at an hour's pace. Yeah. That's, that's pretty rough still. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So what, what you, you like pick the site, you pick the location. Of course you get the government approval in order to do that. How did you start ministry? Like, how did you start connecting with people? I mean, it sounds like they were very receptive to you coming into the community, yeah. but it was probably the health post that was the driving force on that. It's like, well, we actually going to get just basic healthcare in our location. But outside of that, like, how did you start making connections in the community? Well, even, yeah. so just even, you know, anything we had to build out there, every everything that came out had to be brought either in our car or on the top of the car. Mm-hmm. So it was very challenging to get, to get anything out there, um, even yeah. medicine or even supplies to build the clinic. So initially we started off just doing basic medical care um, on, you know, a bench under a tree. And those were our very first connections with people other than the, you know, people would come and just watch us, you know, we would camp mm-hmm. off and on for a while as we're getting our house built and all that. So the con- connections would come just out of curiosity on the part of the gumus, as well as they knew we were there to, you know, do medical care. And so for the first year, uh, roughly, we mm-hmm. did medical care, just very basic on a bench under a tree. But those initial connections, um, were really key in where we went yeah. later with church planting. It, it wasn't really very difficult to make connections. You know, we were the only, uh, well, we're the only white people in the county for sure. So yeah. um, we were naturally an attraction. Um, yeah. So we lived in a tent um, for the first, I don't know, six months off, like, and, off on. and on. Mm-hmm. And so people would just come and watch us because <laughs> there's no tvs there's no, no this is before the age of smartphones or anything like literally they just want to see what these people from another part of the united the world uh from the united states yeah. are doing uh, and living here so connecting with people is not difficult um as a matter of fact i i the first words i learned in gumus were can you leave us alone please that, <laughs> that's not your classic missionary words but literally it was you know for as long as it was light and we were alive and doing stuff out in, you know, outside mm-hmm. of the dark, there would be five to 30 people watching yeah. us. Yeah. Um, like we're talking, you, you're cooking, you're cleaning. If yeah. you need to go to the bathroom yeah, or one of the boys need to go to the bathroom, like people want to see what's, how does this work or what, yeah. what's going on under those shorts? You know, yeah. <laughs> cause we, we are, we were between the village and the river. We lived mm-hmm. right on a really a uh, cool river and where they got their water. So there'd be people, this path went right by our, our uh, tent. Mm-hmm. So we kind of be the, on the, on the hot seat all the time. Another um, thing in the mix with all this is that we had just had a baby at this mm-hmm. time. So okay. Anna, a few weeks old when this was all starting. So that was obviously other than the boys, I, you know, a very brand new white baby was extremely attractive. To yeah. People. Yeah. Yeah. And not just a white baby, but then she had bright red hair too. Right. <laughs> I mean, so there's like all these different elements are like, what is going on? Multicolored family right here. What is happening? Yeah. yeah. Eventually though, um, one of the ways we connected was we started something called chronological Bible story. Kind of the next phase of your what you're we're asking about. Um, yeah. We would uh, 
Uh, I worked with evangelists, mostly from the south, from the Yasso area where CMF had been working before. We brought some evangelists who spoke, mm -hmm. who were gumus. They spoke gumus, obviously. Mm -hmm. We um, started getting into 11 different uh, Bible storing points. And so those were kind of pre-church, pre-churches, yeah. basically, uh, before our church plants in some of those places. We didn't actually plant churches in all of those places, but we had 11 different preaching points where we'd tell a different Bible story every week. Mm -hmm. uh, and so that would be, that was some of the connections yeah. uh, where we, you know, in different villages and then, you know, in the two hour radius, walking radius from our house. Yeah. Yeah. Now that's, it's really interesting. And of course, yeah, it mirrors t totally my ministry as well. Yeah. And I, yeah. I'm very much entwined with all elements of what we're sh talking about right now. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I guess I'd love to know maybe words of advice or thoughts for the new missionary you. Like if there was a another Craig and Allison that's listening to this podcast or a younger version of yourself that you could go back and speak to in that time, what would be some like words of advice or thoughts that you would give to that new missionary you? That that person that's wrestling Allison with being a mom on the field, doing language studies, caring about this feeling just as driven as Craig, but then also maybe feeling the pressure uh, that uh, of the kiddos or, you know, thinking about uh, uh, some new missionaries that are maybe launching a new work. Uh, what would be some words of advice that you guys would like to impart upon them? Well, I would say, first of all, just on the, to, on the kid front, um, I think your kids are going to reflect whatever attitude you reflect. So mm -hmm. if you, you know, are, acting like, oh, I know this is really hard for you. You're going to, you know, you're having a hard time. Let me help you. Then they're going to start to believe that this is really difficult for them. But if it's just, hey, this is life. This is what we're doing. We're here to do this, 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 and this is the way it is. Um, then they're going to pick up on the attitude from you. So it's sort of the balance of being sensitive to your kids and their needs while not um, being maybe overly sensitive and making yeah. them feel like, they have a problem when they don't. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, I think that's one thing I would probably go back and tell myself. Mm -hmm. And I think another yeah. way of putting it is um, that pressure is that that feeling is primarily in the adult, not mm -hmm. in, yeah. and the kid will either will basically adopt what yeah. whatever attitude the the parents have. Yeah. I, I, I always tell, uh, younger couples that have kids or are hoping to have kids soon, but are wrestling with this missions calling. I say, I mean, the honest truth is wherever mom and dad are, the kids are happy. Uh, yeah. and they're, they're not thinking through things in the same way that you are. And that was something that was spoken over us. Uh, and I know you guys probably experienced that as well. And we experienced that as, as well as like, Hey, wherever mom and dad are, then I'm good to go. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it was interesting because we were talking to Zane, our oldest, you know, who's about to turn 21 just this past mm -hmm. week. And he said, he said, you know, I just thought I didn't know any better. I just thought this is the way it is. And I specifically, mm -hmm. you know, my, his growing up years in this very remote area is one of the only white kids. He's that, I thought this was just the way it is. I didn't even question it. And to your point, that's because that's where we were and we functioned as a family unit. Yeah. And the other thing he said was, um, 
you know, I do remember you guys telling me that I needed to just toughen up a lot of times. <laughs> <laughs> Poor Zane. I know. <laughs> he was already five. It's time to, yeah, time to toughen up, kid. You're five years old. Come on. <laughs> what would be some other like points of advice that you would maybe give the new new you, Craig? Uh, I mean, the new missionary you, like, what would you, what would you want to speak to yourself or someone that's in the same shoes as you right yeah, now? I think, I think one of the things is that learner attitude. I think that's mm -hmm. really key um, to recognize that uh, you're not going to get it all right away. Um, one of the best pieces of advice that Ray Giles gave me, um, it was, and he put it this way. I think there's lots of ways to say it, but he said, um, you're 11 is going to be more effective than years one through 10 combined. Mm -hmm. By that, he meant one through 10, probably honestly, one through three really is yeah. almost all learning, like massive mm -hmm. learning. And you feel like things are going, like you really should be con contributing. You've got all these people back in the States that are supporting you. Um, you, you feel a lot of pressure, mm -hmm. but one of your main things you're doing is just learning, you know? Yeah. And, and actually, I think. You're learn and maybe the one through ten. What he meant by that is you're learning for more than just the first three years. I mean, I learn stuff yeah. all the time yeah. um, I, that helped me become better and more effective at the next thing. So take the long term approach. Mm -hmm. um, that, the other thing I would say with that is um, with the long term approach is a lot of people um, don't recognize that it's going to take a while to make a significant impact in a place. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, we have we definitely have this concept and i think it's probably a north american mental construct that i need to something needs to be happening within the first week that i'm there right you know, that might be coming out of the short-term missions mindset of like hey we painted the orphanage or we put up walls yeah. on this house and so going into a longer term context that means i should have built 100 houses or <laughs> 300 people should have come to christ within the first six months of me being on the ground yeah yeah and, and also to recognize that it's, it's going to take a while. So I would encourage myself if I were to go back or someone else like me, um, to, to think about missions long, you know, in, a, in a longer term setting. Mm -hmm. I know that missions is moving away from that a little bit. Um, folks are thinking more, you know, two or three or four years, uh, but it comes at a cost. I mean, so you have to weigh that. I mean, I, I know that people like to experience different things, but honestly, the most gratifying experiences we have had in terms of missions have come after we were there a long time. We were there. Yeah. A while. I mean, long time. There's people that have been there longer than us. So it's, it's not like we're the, the grizzled veterans, but we're veterans, you know, yeah. we're probably yeah. in that category, but to recognize that um, you're not missing something by being somewhere a long time you can only get to some mm -hmm. aspects of ministry after being there long enough to have, like for us, um, we've seen, we've seen people come and now are, there are deacons in our churches that we've planted that mm -hmm. grew up with our son Zane. So that's a pretty crazy. fine experience uh, to, to, to be somewhere long enough to make a difference. And the things we do now make more difference Every, everyday things make more of a difference than what the everyday things we did when we were there three years. So yeah, the yeah. Things long -term, that's probably yeah. That learner's mindset, long-term perspective. Yeah. I think those are massive uh, for sure. Uh, and thinking about, I appreciate you guys sharing that. So you come, you came to Ethiopia, 
started this new work in the Igali area. How many years did you guys live intentionally down in in Igali? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, our first your first year or two was it was uh, there was a lot of back and forth because of you know the process. No house. No yeah. house. <laughs> Camping and yeah. the process of trying to get set up, but. From our initial connection to that area where we first scouted and made the decision to the time we actually transitioned out of that area full time was about 11 years. Okay, about 11 years. And like you said, Craig, you're able to see the church now that you established in that area, not just one church, multiple churches yeah. where deacons, <laughs> same ages uh, and, and young church leaders now that are same age as they yeah. are taking on. Uh, the, these roles at the, those churches that you guys uh, had the, the privilege of being a part of and starting. Uh, that's, that's really, really cool. And so from there, though, okay, 11 years, you transitioned to what? What are you guys, what have you been up to over these last five years now? We, um, we're still connected with the ministry up, up in Igali. Uh, right now, we, it's actually been a while since we've been up there, but that's because of the political situation. Mm -hmm. Ethiopia is in significant political turmoil. Yeah, uh, We're working on a way to get back up there um, through maybe the prison ministry, ironically. Mm -hmm. So um, anyway, we are, I'm the team leader now. Mm -hmm. uh, after the fellows left, they were, he was a team leader. So I've become the team leader. Um, we still do church planting and we still work with the gumus primarily, mm -hmm. but we are involved in another ministry in a place called Asosa. So Asosa is a, the gumus state capital, essentially. Mm -hmm. So okay. we, um, we fly back and forth mostly. Sometimes we drive to that area. There's you're not other... having to, you're not having to drive off road, uh, in the same way. Yeah, it's a much different kind of setting, but it's still, a, in some ways, a continuation of our work because we're using uh, evangelists and other folks from ministries we've already been involved in to start uh, new ministries in other places. Our our church planting efforts are a little bit different. We've morphed. You know, it's that learning process of what works better. Um, before we were on site, you know, ministry you know, basically ministering day to day with, with our evangelists. What we found is because of the relationships, because of the language, because of the culture, our cultural ability, and we have the ability to work with multiple teams or groups of evangelists. And so my role has become more of a mentoring uh, role and mm -hmm. uh, almost like a, pa a pastor of pastors kind of. Yes. Yeah. And obviously we're involved in leadership training and other kinds of things as well with lay leaders. But a lot of what we do is work with evangelists in different areas that are planting churches. But we're yeah. primarily based, like we, we transitioned out of Igali into living in the capital city in Addis Ababa and yeah. Craig's first team leader. And I do a lot of like the finance stuff, oversee some of the finance stuff for our team. So we have um, a base in Addis in order to do that, but then are traveling out on a regular basis. Yeah. So you mentioned the kiddos. You mentioned Zane. He's now 21 or getting ready to be 21 and Ezra and Anna. And then you mentioned just kind of in passing, they go to Rift Valley Academy, which is in another stinking country. So yeah. uh, tell us a little bit about 
as, as easily as you can, I guess. I mean, there's lots of layers to it. I know, but like, how did you connect up with Rift Valley Academy in Kenya? Did Zane go there too? What, what was kind of that path as you guys are also talking about this longevity in ministry, as well as, uh, you know, the transitions and everything else that you were dealing with? Yeah, well, I mean, because, you know, we lived in a remote area, I initially homeschooled um, all of our kids as they each became, you know, old enough to do so. And by the time Zane was 10 or 11, he started reaching the point where he just needed other kinds of social interaction, other kinds of options, you know, playing soccer and, you know, just, a, you know, real other options that he didn't have in iGali. Now, he connected well in iGali. He made friends with the gumus, but... You know, you reach an age where some of the cultural divide becomes a bigger deal and he needed yeah. to grow up and be able to function in, you know, a, a more American culture. So around that time, we started, look, we knew of this Rift Valley Academy, which for those of you who don't know, it's a Christian board, American run Christian boarding school for yeah. missionary kids all over Africa who don't have other, a lot of other options available yeah. to them. And it's based about an hour outside of Nairobi. And we knew of this school, so started seriously looking into it. Zane and I went down for a visit when he was in fifth grade, and he said, yeah, this is this is what I want to do. He was excited. And so he started actually started um, going to boarding school in sixth grade, which was, as you know, yeah. <laughs> experienced it as well. It's yeah. really challenging. Mm -hmm. he, it was the right move, and he learned to thrive there, but it was it definitely had its mm -hmm. challenges with it. Yeah. And then, and then you and decided then, to throw two more kids yeah. into the mix of, of the challenge, right? <laughs> yeah. And then over time, I mean, Ezra, you know, reached the same age and so did Anna and it kind of became the next, the next natural move for each of them as well. Um, it's, uh, you know, not an easy choice. And we have always told our kids, you're never stuck. If for some reason this is not working for you, we will find another option. Mm -hmm. And I think them knowing that help always helped them to be able to decide, no, this is what I want to do. And they felt a personal investment in that decision. And I'm extremely grateful that all of our kids have done well and yeah. thrived there. And I, I think it part of it too, for us is it once Zane went, um, our kids are pretty tight with each other. So sending our other kids actually just make it easier. Yeah. Because, you know, more than half the Fowlers were, were in Kenya, you know, yeah. at that point. So um, it was something they all yeah. did for a period of years, yeah. couple, maybe two years when all three of them were there together before Zane graduated. They, mm -hmm. it really brought them closer together in a different kind of way too, yeah. because they, you know, they were all living through that experience together. And I think, I think somebody on the outside would hear even that Zane was there for a couple of years on his own that, oh, you know, there's no connection at all. But you're saying that actually made you guys closer, made even the the kids closer with even though he was gone for big chunks of time. Yeah, well, I think I think what it meant is that the times we were together became extremely important and mm -hmm. were extremely intentional. Um, we didn't take anything for granted. And I think that there was something maybe about that mindset that drew us close together. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We spent a lot of time with our kids. I mean, that's one of the big benefits to living in a remote area is yeah. it was a day, you know, honestly, I probably spent eight hours 
a day with my kids. Mm-hmm. Anna would get on the bike with me and we'd go to visit sites or, you know, mm-hmm. what go to. So there was, our family got to spend a lot of time together mm-hmm. um, even before they went to boarding school. And so I think that, um, that closeness, uh, that opportunity made the boarding school transition easier in a lot of ways. Yeah. Um, Not and- to say it wasn't without challenges because, you know, there's always the challenge of when Zane comes home, the family dynamics are different than when Zane's gone, you know, because mm-hmm. the, each child's role changes a little bit in the family, depending, you know, as you know, on who's there yeah. and who's not. So there were definitely bumps in the road and we all learned through that process. We learned, you know, that how to say goodbyes in a better way mm-hmm. and how to make those transitions smoother over time. But because we had to work through that process together as a family, it also increased our closeness, I think. Yeah. And now you guys have been straddling this weird world of being empty nesters, but not yeah. really empty nesters. Yeah. <laughs> all three kids being in other places in the world, but they're not quite at the ages where they're supposed to be doing that. <laughs> yeah. It's yeah. definitely, again, a period of transition every every couple of months. It's we're by ourselves, we're with kids, we're, you know what I mean? But mm-hmm. we like change. And so- yeah sort of the transitions to hey our kids are home this is great and okay now they're gone and now we can focus a little bit more on traveling or other things well i think i think what i i experienced and i i think you guys would resonate with this the intentionality to that relationship is only heightened because of the distance but then also the intentionality in ministry like your time Mm -hmm. yeah you, you frame out your time in in maybe an even more precious commodity whether you're with that kid or when you, when you're with Gumu's leaders, church leaders, right? Would you say that? I mean, that kind yeah. of changes that dynamic for you too. Yeah, we our life is very cyclical. Um, mm-hmm. In that, when our kids are home, we operate a certain way. When our kids are not home, we operate in a different way. Um, but actually, our kids enjoy doing the ministry with us. Like going to Asosa, we go there especially when our kids are home. So that, which is one of our ministry sites, because they enjoy that process of going with us and being a part of that, even though they didn't grow up there, they enjoy that process working with the Gumu. Um, so it definitely means we're, um, like when they're not, when they're at school, we are not home most of the time, Allison and I are on the road somewhere and it makes it so we can be very flexible. It's just, you know, two adults that and do yeah. whatever we want to do and we like to travel yeah. and we like to go visit our churches and yeah. you know go to different places um, but it does make it very intentional we have to be mm-hmm. we have to think intentionally and schedule out our yeah times intentionally yeah well i i'd love to like frame out this last bit of our time these last few minutes that we're together with two two questions um and that is what did the you you mentioned this already the the rhythms for your day, your week, your month, your year kind of look like from a ministry standpoint. I'd love to understand the, your rhythms for, for life and ministry. And then what were, what have been, I should say, the life-giving activities or moments uh, that you've had uh, over these last 16 years of service in Ethiopia? So if you could share a little bit about what those, those cycles or the cycle of ministry has looked like and then what has been life-giving for you in that, it'd be really insightful for us. I would say for sure one thing that we've learned after being in the mission field for a while is that the cycles are always changing. Mm -hmm. So I think 
um, just the being flexible and the, the kinds of different roles we have done and the, the way our ministry has looked, even depending on um, our team at the time, ministry looks differently. So the cycles are sort of, um, a, the main thing that's constant is that there are cycles, but what those yeah. cycles look like are changing. So we've definitely had to adapt and be flexible with, with how the cycles change, but Right. Maybe, I don't know if you want to talk about our cycles right now specifically. Uh, yeah, we, I mean, our cycles, a lot of our cycle is dependent on our kids when they're, when they're home mm-hmm. uh, at this point. Actually, I, I don't even think we spend less time doing ministry when they're home. Um, we just do different kinds of ministry. Yeah, it doesn't sound like it. Yeah. Partly because we're fortunate that our kids like to they're interested in they're involved in the ministry they see themselves as Mm -hmm. integral parts of the ministry and i think that helps it so that we don't have to sort of dedicate time only to family instead of ministry we just have to do certain kinds of ministry that involve more family Mm -hmm. uh, orientation so that's that's probably the biggest cycle in our life Mm -hmm. um since a lot of our ministry is in other parts of ethiopia um, when our kids are not at school, we try to hit the more difficult places to get mm-hmm. more difficult with all of us or, um, Allison also, she does some things down in Tanzania and Kenya, um, with CMF. So we take those opportunities, uh, for, you know, when she goes there, I go get on the bike and go mm-hmm. to some more remote kind of places that yeah. we have church planting that are, that would just have to be less sort of family oriented type ministry. It'd be me just getting into places. So th- those, that's probably the key s- cyclical rhythm is mm-hmm. the kids school yeah. set them, I, yeah. I think. Yeah. Yeah. And so then, okay. Looking back over these last 16 years, then that second part of that question is like, what have been the most life giving aspects uh, to ministry for you uh, in the Ethiopian context? Um, I think one of the things now I would say is seeing um, fruit from just the the past, you know, like yeah. you mentioned having a deacon in the church now who knew Zane when he was younger. I think what's life-giving now is seeing things cycle back through that we wouldn't have known or mm-hmm. even expected. You know, lots of times people can be in ministry for a long time and not always see sort of the end results of what that's mm-hmm. going to be. And I think seeing some of the results of years living in another area are now kind of cycling through. I think for me, one of the key things is having sort of some constants in my life. Like because things are always changing, I have to, in order for ministry to be life-giving to me, I have to have my own um, constant habits, I guess, that allow for all the flexibility and change going on on the outside. Mm -hmm. If I can be centered and have my own things going on that are life-giving to me that are true, no matter what's happening on the outside, then that allows some of what's going on on the outside to then become more life-giving. Yeah. Yeah. So what are some of your habits? Um, Well, exercise is one of them. Exercise for sure has always been something that for me, can be a constant that now, again, mm-hmm. it has to change depending on where I'm at and what I'm doing. Sure. But exercise and journaling are probably two things that I have been able to keep up throughout all my years in Ethiopia, no matter 
where I am, but keep me focused with where I'm at. Absolutely. Yeah. No, those are both great spiritual, spiritual disciplines uh, that help you tackle the day, tackle the ministry, tackle whatever issues are going on. For you, Craig, what, what would you note as some things that have been uh, life-giving over the years? Um, I would say similar to what Allison says, it's those relationships. Um, it's both the relationships with the nationals, but also with the team. Um, and so that's honestly, it's, you know, to be frank, working on a team is not all sunshine. Uh, it's not all, you know, there's challenges to it. Um, but I've worked with some really great folks over the years. And some they, real, real pills, real pills. Yeah. Like more. Uh, but there, you know, Honestly, I, we, sometimes the challenges in the end turn out to be the the parts that bring you together as a, as team, you know, as teammates. Um, we so there's a lot of relationships, and it's not just with teammates, but that that's also true. Um, to have the history to to work with people that you have a history with yeah. over time and. Uh, especially if history kind of circles back around um, to, to just to have those kind of relationships. So, and like I said, when something difficult happens um, at, at first, it can really strain a relationship, hmm. but it can also, what we found we're, we're people who are, uh, we get into lots of conflict. I mean, honestly, Ethiopia is, you know, you've worked with us, Jake, so, yes. you know, we're, you know, if, if we're not fighting, we're not relating, you know, <laughs> tensions, tensions run high. That means you love each other. right? Yeah. That's, um, we're probably more, uh, we, for us, conflict is less of a problem than maybe some other folks, which means, um, sometimes we end up having the deepest relationships with people we have the most challenges with. And a lot of that comes because because people are passionate about what they want to do. And when people yeah. are passionate about what they want to do, um, they have strong opinions and they express them. And yeah. it's it's okay to work through those things and come out on the other side. You know, every one of our teammates, I, I promise you that every one of our teammates that we've had, mm -hmm. uh, that we've had some kind of conflict with every single one of our teammates um, since we've been there the last 16 years. Jake's saying, only one? No, there's more than <laughs> every every single one of our teammates we've had conflict with. And yet sometimes it's those conflicts, those challenges, which show me, Hey, these folks are passionate and serious mm -hmm. about their ministry and work and right. we can work through those things. So, right. Um, I would say one other just life giving thing is that Craig and I both like, um, we like challenges. And so mm -hmm. for me, something that can be life giving is to face a challenge and then, and get through that on the other side. Um, and then, I don't know that to me, that can be life-giving. Obviously yeah. it depends a little bit on the challenge. So I'm just making <laughs> a broad generalization, but that's definitely true in some instances. Yeah. Well, I always like to uh, quote Craig Fowler, quoting his old uh, soccer coach that you, you'll miss a hundred percent of the shots you don't take. Right. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's a good testament of you, you guys as a couple, uh, you guys have placed yourselves out uh, in some very risky situations for the kingdom of God, not just to be unnecessarily risky, but uh, for Jesus. Uh, and I know I am grateful for you guys as friends and peer mentors and for the ways that uh, God has used you in Ethiopia as well as in my life. Uh, and so thank you so much for this time and for 
I feel like we could like keep going for like another five or six hours, but I know for the, uh, we'll have to put that off for another time. So thank you for taking the time uh, to talk to me and to the CMF family and to share more about your story. I'm so grateful for you guys. Yeah. Thank yeah, you. Thanks Jake. Thank yeah. you. All right. Love you guys.